there, it's Scary Parish. It's Wednesday, May 1st, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. Big developments in federal court earlier today involving Arizona head coach Sean Miller. We're going to get to that soon. But Norlander, first, um, let me start with this. I think everybody who cares about college basketball and who would be listening to a college basketball podcast is very aware that there is a federal trial happening in lower Manhattan. Um, they're reading tweets from you or Dan Wetzel or Jeff Brazello or Adam Zagoria or Nicole Arbach or anybody else about um, you know what just was played in court via a wiretap, what was played in court with a secretly recorded video, uh, this guy testified to this, this guy testified to that. I think people understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure even the casual or even like the hardcore college basketball fan it exactly understands this. What is the government trying to prove that Christian Dawkins and Merle Code did? And what is their defense? They're charged with bribery. What is What is it that the government's trying to prove? And what is the defense they're putting up? Can you explain that for the listeners who might just be unaware? Sure. The government is trying to prove intent to commit bribery by Merle Code and Christian Dawkins. Now, those charges, although on a very basic level, are the same. They're they're co-defendants in the same trial facing the same charges. The stuff that is pinned against Dawkins versus the stuff that is pinned against Code varies and if we get to a point where the jury comes back with verdicts and it finds Dawkins guilty and Code not guilty that would not surprise me I think Code has a stronger case in this trial than Dawkins does just because so much more of the evidence that has been put in uh, relates to Dawkins and you even have um, cooperating witnesses with the government uh, one of them Munish Sood saying uh, you know I only met Merle Code once in this whole deal and Munish Sood proved to be a, a very important witness for the government in this case but the government is trying to charge Dawkins and Code with paying college basketball coaches thousands of dollars in bribes in order to steer players to Dawkins's fledgling business, Living Out Your Dreams, Inc., Lloyd, Inc., for short, and in doing so, uh, doing so with thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars, doing so across state lines, which makes it a federal crime. Um, that's about as simply as I can boil it down to. It's not that Dawkins uh, was trying to pay college players. It's specifically that he was trying to pay um, established professionals in their field to take money that they were not allowed to be taking uh, and pin the cases uh, against them because of that. This is different from the first trial where the government's case was separate. And to be clear, the defense wanted these two trials to be one, but the government, for reasons that if you're sitting in the courtroom are clearly obvious because the college coaches, how could you possibly defraud these guys when they're having these conversations caught on wiretap? You could have never had this under one umbrella. I think the, the government would have had a much harder time winning in the first case if all the stuff from that case was lopped into this one but the first case was more about defrauding universities and we've talked about that on the podcast plenty uh, and what a farce that was but the government and the way that it that the table was tilted toward it in that case uh, was able to convince a jury this one I still think is leaning toward the prosecution in the case I think they've got the advantage there um, but I think on a more tangible and easy to understand level um, the jury both is seeing uh, heavy evidence come against uh, Dawkins and to a lesser extent code but still code nonetheless and understanding why 
why these would be clearly bribery crimes, but also uh, with Dawkins having gone on the stand Wednesday, and I was not able to be in court on Wednesday. I will be there Thursday when he faces cross-examination from the prosecution. Um, By all accounts, uh, Dawkins was able to humanize his position in such a way that, according to the reports and the writers that were on scene there, the jury found um, understandable, if not at at certain times downright funny. Uh, Dan Wetzel in his piece mentions that uh, on multiple occasions, Dawkins and kind of explaining the ins and outs of how amateurism and uh, rules are put in place now college athletics works it's outdated and um, was actually uh, able to to endorse in the entire courtroom into laughter over some of the folly of all this stuff so that's a, a somewhat quick way of trying to explain uh, the the basics around this case but obviously it is a trial these are lawyers involved and it, it has branched off in about you know five doves in different ways in the Dan Wetzel column that you referenced Dan in the uh you know, in the process of just telling Christian Dawkins' story on the stand from the day, says that he is still likely to be found guilty. Um, do you believe that as well? I believe it's more likely than not. Uh, I will take what I have seen Parrish happen uh, play out in the courtroom. Absolutely. I don't know, but I, I will say this. I was not able to be because of other, uh, you know, real life stuff here and my wife has to have a job as well I was not able to dip down into Manhattan today so I don't have uh, the perspective of having sat in that courtroom heard Dawkins testimony see how it played with the jury and the fact that uh, Dawkins taking the stand was dismissed by by some thinking because a lot of times you won't have a defendant take the stand in a case like this against uh, federal prosecutors it often does not happen but I think it one it stands to um uh, how late in the game it is and how big the deficit is to just, you know, abuse a, a too easy uh, metaphor there uh, for Dawkins to do this. But also maybe, just maybe, him explaining what was happening there, him explaining, um, and I don't know how much you were going to set this up, GP, but him explaining the fact that all this money was coming from the government and it was being induced by this undercover agent whose alias was Jeff D'Angelo and Jeff D'Angelo saying, hey, you're going to take the money that I'm going to give you and you're going to pay the coaches with it. Um, and sure enough, that did happen, happen to happen in some cases. Not all cases, and Dawkins even put up uh, some reasonable explanations for why that didn't happen. So I think there is a chance the jury might see Christian Dawkins explaining the realities of what he was doing, uh, the unfair model that is set up by the NCAA, and why what was happening was happening, and he was not the only one. I think there is a chance that they could get not guilty verdicts, but I do think it is more likely than not that he will. Um, I wouldn't say you know it's 95% at this point. I don't even know what kind of percentage I'd put on it, but um, as of right now i think that's that's uh that's the case and it will probably even more likely be the case when he faces cross-examination on thursday uh that has the potential to be very riveting because the government obviously has been working this case for a year and a half and it will come very prepared no matter what kind of prep dawkins does with his attorney steve haney heading into thursday um he is going to be uh, in the crosshairs and i think it will be riveting cross-examination yeah, uh, to your point about Dawkins, one of the things he's uh, testified to today was that, hey, listen, I didn't want to pay the coaches. It was just I was doing what this guy told me to do with the money. I even tried to explain to him, um, you know, th- th- this is a waste of money. You're wasting your money. You're just giving money to people who aren't actually going to be able to do the things we want them to do. Uh, but he insisted, this is my money. This is what I want you to do with it. So. Uh, in some cases, that's what I did. I, again, I don't know how that registers with the jury, but I thought Christian Dawkins did um, actually have a, a decent explanation for why he was doing what he's accused of doing. It wasn't what he wanted to do or thought was smart. In fact, he said, I thought it was dumb. 
Um, but you know, it, it was this is what this guy wanted to do, and he was the one with all the money. So um, obviously, cross examination is scheduled for Thursday. Uh, the case will get in the jury's hands at some point, and uh, and then we'll be done with this federal trial stuff, at least in uh, in terms of this case. Let's move on to the big development from today, and that was the audio of a wiretapped conversation between Book Richardson, the former Arizona associate head coach, and uh, Christian Dawkins, in which Book Richardson uh, tells Christian Dawkins that Arizona head coach Sean Miller uh, bought DeAndre Ayton and was paying him $10,000 per month. Uh, This is then followed up by Christian Dawkins um, saying that uh, Sean Miller also took care of Raleigh Hawkins and and his people. And so what you have here is no longer just a wannabe agent slash runner slash hustler accusing Sean Miller of level one rules violations. Now you have a close friend of Sean Miller, a colleague of Sean Miller, Sean Miller's associate head coach, somebody who worked with Sean first at Xavier and then at Arizona. That's a bit of a game changer, don't you think? Or if you don't, tell me why. Uh, Yeah, I do think that it it can be something of a game changer only because there's just more attached to all of this now um, with with Miller and, and Book and Book talking about it with Dawkins. Um, I will start with the obligatory. Uh, there is still no evidence. There is no proof that Sean Miller has ever paid DeAndre Ayton. There is no proof that Sean Miller ever paid Raleigh Alkins. Alonzo Trier's name was uh, attached to this earlier in the trial as well. Um, but the facts of all of this are Sean Miller and Book Richardson uh, worked together for a decade plus um, Dawkins has caught on on tape at one point. I think I mentioned this on last week's podcast, even referring to the fact that they were in a bad marriage. Some of the wiretaps that were played GP on Wednesday in court um, even got to uh, to a little bit of that as Dawkins and Richardson are discussing um, the eight and stuff in general. Uh, with Richardson not having, I guess. I don't know if sympathy is the right word, but um, as they're talking about how Sean is allegedly uh, in deep paying, you know, $10,000 payments to Aiton and a lot to Raleigh Alkins or his representatives as well. Again, this is what Richardson and Dawkins are talking about on the wiretap. Um, I, I think it is, I think, I think it does hurt the Sean Miller case in general. Um, and there's, there's been more, I'll, I'll be quick with this GP and I'll let you respond. Um, kind of looping in what we talked about to start this podcast and then in this in general. Um, the reason why a lot of this stuff even comes up is because on June 20th, 2017, that is the day that Book Richardson goes to the Conrad Hotel in New York City. He sits down with undercover agents, Sood and Marty Blazer. And in that meeting, Richardson is completely selling himself and his services. Uh, Parrish, I would need probably 15 minutes, which I'm not going to do on this podcast, to, to you know talk about all the stuff that Richardson says in that meeting about how he operates. Uh, he flagrantly, uh, you know, is he is understanding of, of the fact that what they're talking about needs to stay in the room. you got to keep it private, et cetera, et cetera, all that, right? Um, but later that day, uh, Munish sued, who at that, like, he's not like Marty Blazer. He is uh, joining this venture and doesn't realize that this is all being uh, caught on video and wiretaps and all that stuff. He calls Christian Dawkins, and they have a phone call. And on that phone call, and this gets to what Dawkins testified to today, 
Um, Dawkins is like, this Jeff D'Angelo dude is weird. Why does he want to meet these kids at Arizona? Does he not understand how this works? Like Sean Miller, at one point, Christian Dawkins says, Sean Miller invited me to come out to Arizona. Um, and they're talking about the recruitment of Javon Quinterly at that point because he is going to have uh, a visit down the way. He's like, I can't bring a guy like Jeff D'Angelo to the University of Arizona, and then Sean Miller's going to be like, what the hell is this guy doing here? Which, by the way, what Dawkins is saying is completely accurate. So they're talking, they're making fun of, of Jeff D'Angelo. Like, why does this dude even care? Why is he giving all this money? Why does he want to be with kids? What the hell is he going to talk with kids about? And so then Sued and Dawkins start talking about, okay, you know, if, uh, if you just go back and say, listen, uh, you can maybe meet the kid after, like, you know, he's in our system and we know that he's going to be coming aboard with Lloyd Inc., et cetera, et cetera, right? And so then this is what Sued says. He's saying, I think that's what clearly has to be stated to, Je uh, to Jeff because maybe what you do is you wait an hour, call Jeff back and say, hey, look, I spoke with Book and exactly say that. Book says, look, let's get this kid signed. Then he's happy to introduce Jeff to the kid either in Arizona or while they're traveling somewhere. And Dawkins says, yeah, okay, all right. And then Sued says, this way it's clean, right? This way it buys us time it lets us get the money and then we'll deal with the other stupid shit he'll forget about it anyway and Dawkins says okay because I want you to get this kid he's referring to Quinterly and then he says and I want to sign the big kid as well and that's when the conversation shifts to uh, I think we're going to get the number one pick next year I think we're going to get that big kid clearly referring to DeAndre Ayton that's when Dawkins says it's going to be more money than what what Book said, I mean, because I talked to Sean. Sean's the one that fronted that deal, so it's going to be some money, but, I mean, we'll figure it out. That then loops back to what Richardson and Dawkins are talking about in the tape that was played today, which just, you know, it further implicates but does not prove anything that Sean Miller was involved in payments to, uh, to DeAndre Ayton and Raleigh Alkins. GP, I'll let you respond as you may, but I do feel obligated to tag this with the fact that obviously Arizona investigated all of this already. It is comfortable with Sean Miller still running its program. Presumably it is aware of this conversation. Presumably, maybe not. Um, but but obviously Wednesday was not a good day for Arizona or for Sean Miller. I, I guess they could be aware of this conversation before today, um, but I don't know how you could listen to your associate head coach tell somebody um, when he didn't know he was being recorded that your head coach bought DeAndre Ayton and is paying ten thousand dollars a month and not and not just be like I don't I don't understand how if you're running a university mm -hmm. you could be privy to that fact. Not the fact that Book Richardson telling the truth. I mean Book Richardson could have been lying. Not I, I nobody's been able to uh, present a compelling argument to why Book Richardson would have been lying. Uh, about this specific thing at that specific time, but whatever. Um, but I don't know how, if you're running a university, you could you could know that Book Richardson was talking like that about Sean Miller, and and think that that's okay. Like, um, you know, the, the truth is right now Arizona is going to get hammered by the NCAA, whether Sean Miller is the coach or not, because you can't have this. You cannot have this. I mean, what we what we now. I mean, think about this for a second. At the time that, you know, all of this stuff was – okay. Uh, Mark Phelps has been fired. Book Richardson obviously been fired. Joe Pasternak, who was also on staff, um, you know, in recent years, um, there have been allegations made against him. Whether they're true or not, I can't speak to that. But there's allegations. He has been, yes, he has been indirectly referenced in this trial, Parrish. Indirectly, but he has been referenced. Right. So, like, everybody working for Sean Miller has been – at least they have been the target of allegations. Beyond that, you have Book Richardson on tape admitting his own NCAA violations, that he um, 
was taking care of somebody related to Raleigh Hawkins at, I believe, the rate of like $2,000 a month. So what you now have is a associate head coach, it can, you know, um, in, in uh, criminating himself in a way that, uh, unless the NCAA is just totally going to ignore it, going to lead to Raleigh Hawkins being retroactively ruled ineligible. Means you start to vacate all sorts of stuff, and um, and and you know, who knows if, in terms of future probation, scholarship cuts, uh, postseason bans. You know who knows, but like the, everything I just said is already going to get you in trouble. Like there's no way Book Richard can be on tape admitting that he was taking care of Raleigh Hawkins' family member and that not come back to get Arizona again. It's very you know it's one thing to to say, uh, oh the only thing you got so far is Christian Dawkins talking wild. Like the point I've made before is, um, yeah, you know, you could say that Christian Dawkins has credibility problems. That's fine. But if he's really just making things up, why is he seemingly only making things up about Sean Miller? Like, why didn't he also make things up about Rick Pitino or also make things up about Tom Izzo or also make things up about, I don't know, if he's really just trying to um, inflate his relevance in the sport, make things up about John Calipari and Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski. Like these very serious allegations um, where it is, Christian Dawkins saying, I talked to a head coach and the head coach told me ABC and the head coach was saying all sorts of wild stuff he should be saying on the phone. That is, best I know, limited to Sean Miller. It's unique to Sean Miller. Uh, to me, that, that makes it believable, but whatever. If you're a dumb Arizona fan and you don't want to believe it, it's fine. But now you've got an associate head coach who worked with Sean Miller, first at Xavier, now at Arizona, also calling Sean Miller a cheater. I don't know how you can hear that and not think that Sean Miller is a cheater. You know, Pete Thamel was in the courtroom today from Yahoo Sports, and he wrote a column, and in that column he wrote this sentence. Seemingly at this point, the only collegiate board of regents who could look at all of this evidence and think Sean Miller's dramatic denial about paying players had a seed of truth would be one that consists of the Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy, and Santa Claus. And I really do think that that's about right. There is no scenario where... I don't know that they'll ever be able to prove Sean Miller did these things. There's no scenario you'll be able to ever uh, where you'll ever be able to convince a reasonable person slash somebody who's not an Arizona fan that Sean Miller wasn't cheating like crazy. And I suppose Sean's line, like till the end, um, will just be okay. This stuff might have been going on in my program, but I had nothing to do with it. And I didn't know it was going on, which, by the way, is not going to be a good excuse for the NCAA in terms of future sanctions, Mm -hmm. because you're you are responsible for your staff. But I did think this was um, interesting and worth pointing out. Um, How hard is it to insist you didn't know Book Richardson was dirty buying players when Will Wade knew Book Richardson was dirty buying players? Because I thought that was an interesting thing that came out of either yeah. yesterday's testimony or the day before. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, there, I, there's Book Richardson on a tape, and he's explaining that Will Wade, who is recruiting Nazareth at the time. They're the only two I, schools recruiting Nazareth at that point. Okay. Arizona and LSU is recruiting Nazareth. Will, According to Book Richardson, Will Wade wants to hire Book to help him close the deal with Nazareth. And he says, I got $300,000 for him. Which, by the way, um, the wording of that actually jives pretty well with the way I've heard if Will Wade was actually doing these things, he might have been doing these things because 
you know, when you start asking coaches or other people in the industry, okay, if this was going down at LSU, how do you think it was going down? And they would be like, well, he would get money from a booster. So there'd be no money connected to him, no paper trail connected to him. And then he could just take the money and transition it straight to whoever needed to transition it to. So it's, it's a limited number of witnesses. It's Will handling it himself. It's cash. And it's not cash coming from any sort of account connected to him. It's cash coming from a booster that the NCAA probably wouldn't even know to look at. That's probably how this would get done. And so when Will says, I got $300,000 for him, what that implies to me is, hey, hey, I've got somebody willing to give me $300,000 to get this deal done. Can you help me get this done? And Book, again, according to Book, jokes like uh, I told Will, like, man, you give me half of that. And I can get this thing done. I'll make sure he goes to LSU. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, this is my point. Do you know how brazen you have to be to trust somebody who doesn't work for you, who works for a university recruiting against you, to trust them with that information, assuming that book is telling the truth, that this conversation actually happened? You, you, you would never... Let somebody else in your industry industry know you get down like that or you're trying to get down like that? Unless what? Unless you know they get down like that too. <laughs> my point is this. Will Wade in Baton Rouge knew Book Richardson getting down like that. And yet Sean Miller's going to try to pretend he didn't? Birds of a feather and all that. Real quick on the Will Wade stuff. First of all, I don't think I believe all this. $300,000 for Naz Reed is absurd. I don't know if there are five football players in the football craze conference that is the SEC that would command that kind of price tag in 2018, 2017, whatever. Like, I I, I, I actually don't believe, if they if it happened, that's a, that's amazing. I do not believe that $300,000 was given to people connected to Naz Reed to play at LSU. That number is ridiculous. You're telling me Naz Reed got 300000 and DeAndre Ayton allegedly only got 100000 and the difference between those players was, even though Naz Reed was a fine, very good prospect, probably going to get drafted. Great kid from all I can tell. They ain't in the same league whatsoever. So I've got issues with that. Two, I, I, we, the point you're making is, is completely on the right track here. But the idea that Will Wade, and this is, again, this is what Richardson is saying. It might be bluster. It might be a half-truth. But the idea that at, at a recruiting event, Will Wade would approach Book Richardson with this kind of information, peas in a pod, birds of a feather, all that stuff, whatever. You're going to do this with another coach outside. And then Will Wade, apparently, according to Book Richardson, offers Book a job to make sure that they can get the Nazare thing to happen. And then Book Richardson says, if you give me half that, if you give me $150,000, I'll make sure that he goes to you. And we won't even deal with the guy coming to Arizona. The entire situation was... Uh, surreal to listen play out that wiretap play out in court um, and by the way it was the only time Will Wade's name actually came up so far in this trial I would guess it will be the only time that his name will come up unless for some reason Dawkins uh, wants to veer into that upon cross I don't think he will um, but that the the Wade stuff in general man I mean the, the, the Miller stuff wasn't good but this is another separate player that has been tied to Wade, in terms of paying him to get him to go LSU, by the way, uh, among many that have declared for the NBA and his pair said on a couple podcasts back, uh, will not be returning to play college basketball. Um, GP, you do not think Nasri got $300,000 to play at LSU, I mean, do you? You know, on one hand, it's 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 obviously seems excessive. On the other hand, I, I, you know, I don't know that there's like some scale that everybody um, references when they're buying basketball players. Um, you know, I, I, I don't I didn't 
I didn't think Brian Bowen was worth a hundred thousand dollars. Valid, I mean, the, valid, valid point. Yes, <laughs> you know, I should, that, that's the one that shocked me. Like, no, I'd rather have Nas Reed than Brian Bowen. And so, I guess you can, and perhaps reasonably so, say there's just no way um, Nas Reed got three hundred thousand dollars if we're operating under the assumption DeAndre Ayton only got a hundred thousand. But hell, Larnell got fifteen. Shouts to Rod- hold on. We have a by the way. We have another. We have uh, shouts to Rodney. Okay, shouts to Rodney, uh, the cousin of Raleigh Alkins, who actually took a meeting with uh, with Manish Sood uh, and Dawkins and an under the uh, the female undercover agent whose alias was Jill Bailey. So we have another uh, uh, acquaintance slash family member of an Arizona player that has been injected into this. So I just wanted to make sure on this podcast uh, a proper shout to Rodney for getting involved in all of this. You done. You done did well. Here. Here, man. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, I, I don't think DeAndre Ayton and Brian Bowen aren't the same caliber guy, but they reportedly got the same amount of money. Although I will say I talked to somebody who, I don't know, is around this stuff. And <laughs> the point he made, and this was several months ago, but this guy said, I, I don't know if Sean Miller is the one that actually did the DeAndre Ayton deal, but I bet you DeAndre Ayton got more money than people realize. <laughs> so who knows, right? Um, yeah, but so my larger point is I don't know that there's a, a you know a scale like hey if you're a top ten prospect you're in this range top twenty prospect you're in this range like deals just get done however they get done but I can acknowledge yes it seems like a, an excessive amount of money I guess I would say this if you want to say that's book exaggerating the numbers um, I'm willing to listen to that sure people exaggerate numbers all the time when telling stories um, but keep in mind the timing of this conversation. This is way before we know about Javante Smart conversation on a wiretap, strong-ass offer. I don't think it's a coincidence that Book Richards is telling the story about Will Wade. Like, I don't think he made the story up. I think that he told the story about Will because this is precisely the type of thing Will was doing. And um, I just thought it was hilarious. We've got these two programs that, um, more so than any other, seem to have coaches on staff, head coaches, who are accused of buying players. Like, you can say Nike was doing this for um, Duke and that Adidas was doing this for Louisville and Kansas and Under Armour was doing this for Maryland. But the two places where we have real allegations against the head coach, like the head coach is doing these deals, it's LSU and Arizona. And yesterday in court, those two schools are actually tied together with the associate head coach at one place telling, uh, describing a story about the head coach at the other place, and they're discussing cheating, buying, uh, an attempt to buy Nas Reed. I thought that was just perfect. Yeah, and, and just a, qu- a few quickies here on Richardson, um, and I'll wrap it by actually reading the transcript of what was said today on the call, and you can take it where you want, Parrish. But uh, – if the general, I don't think that these videos are, are ever going to be out for general public uh, consumption here. Um, but I mean, uh, uh, book is he he is or was damn good at what he did. Um, funny, self-deprecating, great seller. You can easily see why he was so good at doing what. Even beyond like you know throwing it like whatever like the money stuff. No, no, just just in terms of who he was, how he was able to talk to people. Book Richardson was good at his job and very convincing, and it is no wonder why he took the money and was a prime candidate to do so. Um, and uh, he also, by the way, said, 
when I'm going against Mississippi State, <laughs> like he threw Mississippi State, and out of nowhere, the, the SEC accuses um, – he's not specific with schools, but 20, 30, 40 grand when it comes to involving recruiting players. They're like, there was a lot of stuff. Again, this case, we can't get to it on this podcast. There's just random stuff caught on wiretaps in these video conversations where just random schools or conferences are just lobbed out there, and it's all just like it's, – it's just drive-by. It's just, okay, but we're, we're kind of trying to get to a bigger point there, and the Richardson stuff I thought to be um, – to be pretty compelling overall. Um, going back to what we talked at the top, here's what actually the the tra- one of the uh, transcripts of the calls that was picked up and played Wednesday in court. And as a reminder, um, although the defense wanted to have Miller and Wade on the stand, and the reason why we did not hear any calls with Will Wade and Sean Miller played in court. And we will not. The prosecution has rested here. Uh, the judge, uh, Edgardo Ramos, who has been a great judge in this case, uh, he, is, he has deemed that to be irrelevant uh, to, the, to the matters at hand. Uh, we won't get them. Um, this is going to be the closest that we will get. Here was what was played uh, by the prosecution, not the defense. And in doing so, the prosecution obviously does Miller no favors. As they're talking about Dawkins and Richardson, talking about trying to get Aiton to maybe link up with Dawkins' business, in the way that Richardson has already said, you're going to get Raleigh Alkins. That's a fact. He says that on a video wiretap. Um, Dawkins says, we'll see how Sean... Well, first he said, Richardson says, Sean's got to get the bleep out of the way and let us work. And then Dawkins says, we'll see how Sean plays it out. And then Richardson says, you know what he bought per month? They're referring to Aiton. And Dawkins says, what'd he do? And Richardson said, I told you, 10. Now, common logic would indicate that would be $10,000 there, given the context of all these other conversations. And then Dawkins says, he's putting up some real money for them expletives. Uh, he told me he's getting killed, and then Richardson said that that's his fault. What they're referring to there is Dawkins alleging um, that Miller had already talked to uh, him about uh, money payments and that it's, you know, from a from a pocket standpoint, it's actually hurting him. So that's that's the the big thing that was involved in terms yeah. of the stuff that was played. And, and, and let me make this point. Um, and, and just so we're clear here, that is Christian Dawkins telling Book Richardson Sean told me he's getting killed, right? Yes. Okay. Here's another just like just just use common sense if because that's what people say. They're like, hey, you know, Arizona fans. When I say that's what people say, I just mean um, naive slash silly Arizona fans. Um, If you know, they're like, ah, Christian Dark is just making this stuff up. He didn't really talk to Sean Miller about these things. If you weren't really having conversations with Sean Miller, would you be telling Sean Miller's associate head coach that you were having coaches with uh, conversations with Sean Miller? Like, wouldn't that be something very easy for Book Richardson to find out it's not true? Yeah. Of course. It's, yeah, yeah. But they're talking, saying, hey, man, yeah, when I talk to Sean, if that's not, if they don't really have that relationship, Book would just be like, you weren't talking to Sean. Or or I think um, Dawkins wouldn't even, wouldn't even use that phrase. You might be able to tell me, yeah, GP, I was talking to Sean Miller. Because how do I know if you're talking to Sean Miller? But, like, the associate head coach at Arizona, I don't think you tell that lie to him if it's a lie, which is why I don't think it's a lie. I really do think he was talking to Sean Miller, and I think they were really having these conversations. I find Christian Dawkins, as it relates to this stuff, believable. I find him believable at sometimes. I find all parties involved in this BSing at other times. You've got guys, as they're talking about uh, these prospects, uh, Bagley's name gets brought into this stuff and how he's the best player since LeBron James. <laughs> like A lot of this stuff, I think, is greased-up conversation. I think at the essence of it, uh, a lot of it is based in reality or at least acknowledgement of, of a situation as people understand it. And it's also why I wrote on Monday... 
I think it was. I've lost track of the days. Um, uh, Arizona may well stick with Sean Miller. He he could be coaching at the start of the next season because, um, again, we have to acknowledge that the school and to a certain level the NCAA has poked around on some of this stuff, if not the FBI, by the way, of course. And if Miller was involved in this, he would be a defendant in the case to the extent that Book Richardson was and has pleaded guilty in all this. Um, so there has been some diligence, if not entire due diligence, done on that. But you cannot convince me that the NCAA, on whatever timeline it's working on, and I don't know what timeline it's working on. I don't know if it hopes to get this done by October or if it doesn't think it's not going to get it done until a year from the day we're recording this podcast. Much of this is going to be laid at the feet of Sean Miller. I just don't see how it won't. You have a convicted felon on your staff. The evidence is overwhelming. The NCAA will obviously use this evidence to, um, I don't know if it's going to try and uh, uh, worsen the situation for Richard. Like, he's going to get show cause. Like, uh, uh, 10-year, 20-year, I don't even know. Like, I don't know. From from a a formality standpoint, I think all these assistant coaches are going to be put under – show causes that are potentially precedent-setting. And then from that, uh, if you're the NCAA and you're the Committee on Fractions and you're the people in charge of this stuff, uh, there's just no way I don't see a significant punishment coming for Miller here, even if you did not know. Even if you did not know and you can uh, provide every single um, reason that prevents proof or evidence of that ever coming to be, when you are involved, when it c- comes to this level and this federal trial and there's this much bad publicity and there's all the stuff that's that's put against Richardson, even if Arizona's going to keep you, I think he's going to face a suspension and other heavy stuff. I don't know how long the suspension will be, but um, if Arizona fans want to keep Sean Miller around, he's a really, really damn good college basketball coach. Um, some of the stuff that's been put up against him, maybe it's not true, maybe it's exaggerated, but whatever. The stuff that has been proven is already a horrible look for Arizona. Um, I don't know when it's coming, but you can't con- you can't convince me that Arizona, maybe more than any other program, and maybe there will be others that hit get just as hard. LSU, you name it, any of the other schools that had assistance that were charged in this case, uh, significant sanctions are inevitable. Just don't know when it's going to happen. Well, even if Sean Miller, I read this yesterday, I think uh, the Arizona Daily Star, even if Sean Miller, it, like they can't actually prove that he did these things. They know these things happened because Book Richardson's on video saying that they happened, but they can't prove that Sean did it, that he had a hand in it. And Sean forever just insists, listen, you can say that I should have known, but I didn't know. That's the truth. Um, He can still face, according to NCAA bylaw 11.1.1, a suspension up to a year from the NCAA um, if they find that his staff has committed level one violations. And it seems like actually undeniable at this point that a staff committed level one violations, right? I mean, there's no uh, that's, way to that's a, it. That is a proven fact at this point, yes. <laughs> right. So uh, that's the thing, man. I mean, Arizona can do whatever it wants to do, um, but I don't I don't understand how you could keep him at this point. Um, a, just because he, you're not going to have him at some point. He is going to face a suspension, and it could be up to a year. And you got to think the NCAA is – Gonna you you'd think that like if there ever there was a place to come down hard, this would be the place to do it. So if they can give him a year, that means they they really might give him a year. So you you want to keep employing a head coach that a is going to have this reputation forever. Like you you don't you don't I don't think you shed this. So this will for this will as long as he's your coach be the perception of your program. Do you really want that? 
Um, and and B, like he, he's going to face a suspension at some point. Not to mention you're going to be dealing with the cloud of postseason bans and all the possibility of it. All that stuff. Like, do, is he really worth all this? I mean, you you say earlier that he's a very good college head coach, and I I tend to uh, agree with that. But what if he can't? What if his program can't cheat anymore? Like then, then how good is he? You know what we know is they've been cheating like crazy to get these players, and still been mostly underachieving with them. Never been to a Final Four. Still, like, do you really want this if you're Arizona? Um, I don't know. I don't think I would if I were running the school. But if, if they do, then just just say you don't care. Just say, yeah, you know what? We don't care. We're, we're, this is the sport we're in, and we we don't care. Just don't say you actually believe your coach didn't do these things or know about these things because nobody nobody else in the country believes it at this point. All right, the next time we podcast, I know we're going to transition here real quick. The next time we podcast, uh, I expect this trial to be uh, with a verdict. Um, my prediction as of where things stand right now is Christian Dawkins will be found guilty and Merle Code will also be found guilty. But I think Code, as I said at the top here, is uh, is less likely. So um, I don't think we're going to have any more. So the next time we talk about this, it'll probably just be um, whatever happens in Cross. I, I, I think that cross-examination of Dawkins on Thursday has the potential to be truly riveting. Um and and we'll see where we go from there and how long the jury takes to decide this. The first trial, I think it took the jury three days. I I don't know. I get the sense this might not take more than one day. But it's a jury. You never know who's thinking what and and, and with all that stuff. And then we will still have one more trial to uh, to get to with Chuck Person um, and uh, and another man who was charged in the case with all that. As we wrap, just one more thing. I do want to say because uh, I, I I think I, I like I've seen videos of Book, saw videos of Bland. Uh, Tony Bland doesn't come off. Um, innocent in this at all like it is very understandable i was i said to wetzel in the courtroom i think on monday i was like can you imagine if we actually had college basketball coaches uh in this trial right now like pleading uh not guilty and the stuff that is getting like played right now it is it is no wonder if you actually hear the wiretaps and watch the videos it is no wonder whatsoever why those guys uh, pleaded guilty to this because the government had so much against them. The prospect of them winning, uh, when you had people on video literally accepting thousands of dollars and talking about steering players to to Christian Dawkins' uh, management company, like it's 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 not a shock whatsoever. Lamont Evans, the former South Carolina Oklahoma State coach, there's plenty of stuff that hasn't uh, really been talked about much that comes up. He does not look good in this whatsoever. Arguably, probably the worst of any coach, I would argue. Um, so anyway, that's just a, a bunch of other stuff. And then the agents. Oh, yeah. Last thing, and then we'll move on. Like Dawkins said so in his testimony on Wednesday. There's been plenty of stuff. Um, the general NBA agent space and why a lot of this happened to begin with was because uh, as Dawkins as a runner who would be in place to understand a lot of this stuff, particularly at ASM Sports where his boss Andy Miller worked, uh, basically said like any any kid that has an NBA first round level kind of future, not any but almost any, like someone's gotten to him by the time he gets to college. And he success- successfully, according to uh, the reports that were there on Wednesday, painted uh, a reality with, with high school and college athletics that showed how dirty it truly could be. And so the things that Dawkins was doing were not uh, outside of uh, – outside of the norm at all. And in fact, as a runner, he was doing the bidding of agents uh, in some cases so that agents would not get themselves caught in the crosshairs. That's the very nature of what runners do. It's why NBA different agencies put kids that look young on campuses with backpacks walking around to blend in to kind of just ingratiate themselves in that kind of environment like the level of this stuff has gone on for decades we are we are seeing things um, in such a light and with such detail that we never had before um 
Yeah, it's been it's been fascinating for me to observe from a distance. Obviously, you've been in the courtroom, but um, it, you know, it, it really does at least seemingly you know shows exactly how uh, normal this stuff had become. Um, I'm not sure if this changes anything going forward. You've still got a you know a, a system of amateurism that prevents people who are obviously worse a lot from accepting anything above board. So a black market's created and. You know, it's been there forever and I imagine it forever will be. But, um, you know, I, I do think this has scared some people, um, at least temporarily. Yeah. Um, and so we'll, you know, we'll see where it goes from here. But uh, like you said, um, cross-examination of Christian Dawkins will be on Thursday and then the jury uh, will get the case at some point. Let's touch on a few other things before we get out of here. Um, Chris Beer got a new contract at Texas Tech. We're going to talk about that next. But first, uh, check this out. It's the State of Combat podcast, the Brian Campbell. And while fight season may be on hold for the foreseeable future until Tony Ferguson and Habib Nurmagomedov touch gloves at UFC 249, the SOC is still moving along. Two to three episodes per week to give you that combat fix. What can you expect? The same great interviews with the biggest names in the fight game. Maybe a little bit of a fun oasis from the crazy world around you. Instant reactions to the biggest news stories. It's the SOC. Available on Apple Pods, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere fine audio is found. Tell them BC sent you. Hey everybody, it's Will Brinson, host of the Pick 6 podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL podcast. We know the sports world is very different than it was a few weeks or even months, certainly months ago. But I'm here to let you know we will remain daily. We are dedicated to bringing you content every day. It's not changing. That's just what we do. It's sort of our thing. We had you covered for free agency in March. And in April, we will be draft central, breaking down all the rumors and all the possibilities for what happens not in Vegas, but maybe some television studios somewhere during the NFL draft. So join me in the cast of characters for Pick 6 Monday through Friday, available to you first thing in the morning. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcast shows. So Chris Beard, head coach at Texas Tech, just took the Red Raiders to their first Final Four, first national championship game, has agreed to a six-year contract extension with Texas Tech University um, at the rate of $4.6 million per year. According to USA Today's coaching database, makes him the third highest paid coach in college basketball behind only Mike Krzyzewski and John Calipari. The column I wrote on this is like, it's money well spent because – um, here's the truth. When you've got a great coach who is perfect for you at your university and you are in a power five conference like the Big 12, where you're going to get in excess of 40 million dollars annually from your media rights alone. When you combine that with the fact that because of amateurism, you don't have to pay the players like it, it's it's almost impossible to overpay a great coach. And that's why I think Texas Tech is smart to do this. It doesn't mean that. Chris Beard will be there in six years or even in two years. But it does mean that they showed um, they're perfect and great, perfect for them and great coach um, that they're committed to, to him and his program and his staff. Like they basically told him with this gesture, you might leave us someday. 
you know, maybe the Kansas job opens, maybe the Arizona job opens, um, maybe, you know, Texas opens, any of these jobs that might be certainly traditionally better jobs than our job. And you might leave us one day. And, you know, we'll deal with that when we have to deal with that. But you're not going to leave us for money. And you're not going to leave us because we didn't try to do everything we could to keep you happy. I thought it was really smart by Kirby Holcutt, the athletic director, to be so proactive and so um, over the top in their attempt to make sure Chris Beard is in Lubbock, Texas for as long as possible. Uh, listen, reference this signing in the future for any school that may uh, want to get a coach or lose a coach. Uh, Beard standing right now, it might be um, Bill Simmons uses a term sometimes called Apex Mountain when he talks about uh, actors and saying like, okay, at this given mo- time when he when a certain actor actress did a movie, was this their Apex Mountain? They were never more of a thing within the pop culture consciousness. They were never better. Their career never was, was never at a higher point. This might be Chris Beard's Apex Mountain right now. It might be. Um, but if you want to keep this guy on your kit, because right now Beard is about as hot as it gets uh, outside of the man that, uh, that defeated him in that national championship game, Tony Bennett. Uh, you want to keep him on campus, uh, try and prevent someone next year or the near year after by giving him as much money as you possibly can. I'm not saying Chris Beard's uh, deserving of the third richest contract in college basketball. I also, by the way, because of the trial stuff, I haven't. I, sometimes these contract things, like they can be uh, not. Uh, well, maybe misleading is the right word. Like, Chris Beard's getting paid. There's no doubt about it. But if you actually, like, truthfully looked at how the, the contract broke down versus, say, guys that are in that 4 to 10 range, uh, regardless, he's, he's being getting paid uh, handsomely among the best of the best. Um, for, for I got to think this has got to be a record, by the way. Like, there's never been a coach with such a short Division One track record to get paid on this level, even if you wanted to prorate it retroactively a decade, two decades, three decades ago, uh, Beard has certainly earned it. And if the money is going to be used in that sense, because as, as I saw what you wrote about and tweeted about, you can't send it to the players. Um, it is the smart move there. Um, and, and and good on him. But wow, that's, that is, that is uh, the kind of money where it, it probably will, or it should make any sort of program at the major conference level that wants to consider itself um, top 25 status. Well, if you want that and you really want to go get a guy or you have a guy, then when the time comes and you, and you hit a moment like this, uh, get it done. Uh, you need to, you're going to have to pony up here and, and send a message, not just to other schools that may want to try and get said coach, but also to your fan base uh, that says we are, no, we are absolutely committed here. We are not going to cheap out on our guy. So Beard gets it, and um, now comes uh, a, a, just a, a separate level of pressure. It's like once Now, Chris Beard will be known for having made an Elite Eight and made a title game and all that stuff, but um, this is also going to be a thing. Like Chris Beard, he signed that super uh, you know, rich contract. He's the third highest paid coach in college basketball. Now let's see what he can do next season, the season after, to, to kind of live up to that stuff. Because if it goes wrong, and I don't think that it will, but if it does, that's where, hey, you're getting the money. It's great and all that stuff. But that stuff kind of kind of be pinned up against you, as many a college football coach can attest to uh, over the past 20, 30 years. Yeah, when you get a contract like this, whether you're a coach or a player, where the numbers are wild, if you are unsuccessful, your contract becomes part of your story. Um, like in Memphis – Chandler Parsons' contract is a part of his story. It wouldn't be if he was good, but he's injured and incapable of of 
of being a relevant NBA player, I, I assume, you know, ever again. And so everybody knows exactly what he makes. Chandler Parsons making $94 million or whatever it is, 94, 95, 93. It's in that range. His contract is part of his story. If for whatever reason, Texas Tech just settles back in to be in a, you know, a bottom half Big 12 program, then yes, you know, it'll, it'll look like um, Texas Tech just lost its mind. Um, but I don't think this is the same thing as Kevin Ollie lucking into a national championship. I think Chris Beard's got the goods because, um, you know, he's now, you know, had really good years with totally different rosters. Um, he wasn't led by one player anywhere. You know, it wasn't, this isn't Shabazz Napier taking him to a national championship game. Jarrett Culver's very good, but Texas Tech got there because of a defense that ranked number one in defensive efficiency. Um, I, I think he's got the good, I think. And, and then I've referenced this before, but like his one year at Little Rock relative to the three years before he got there and the three years since he left is just crazy. They've been outside of the top 200 at Ken Palm three years before Chris was at Little Rock, three years since, every season without exception. In his one year there, they won 30 games, top 60 at Ken Palm, advanced in the NCAA tournament by beating Purdue. So even that, you don't really have to just point to Texas Tech to, to, to you know, provide evidence that Chris Beard is a special basketball coach. Um, the Little Rock year counts as well, and it is just as impressive as, or, or you know, it's 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 similarly impressive to any of the stuff he's done uh, since then. And just to circle back to the way Texas Tech was aggressive in getting this done. Um, you just contrast it with another Big 12 coach just a couple of years ago. You know, Brad Underwood was at Oklahoma State. And by the way, Brad Underwood, Chris Beard, both represented by the same guy, Brett Just at CAA. So Brad Underwood's there, and clearly it looks like he's, you know, Oklahoma State's made a good hire, he's doing good things, and he was not making much money there relative to what other Big 12 coaches make. I mean, he was making good money relative to, like, what school teachers make, but it wasn't, you know, great Big 12 head coach money. And so, as the story goes, you know, Chris was, I mean, Brett just was trying to talk to the Oklahoma athletic director about getting, hey, let's go ahead and get it. He likes it here. You got the right guy. Let's, like, let's get a deal done to make him happy. And they just kept putting it off. Well, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. Just wouldn't get anything done. Well, then what happened? Brad gets frustrated. Then what happens? He's got an agent who's got connections to every job opening that – that is open and that will open. So then Illinois is going to open. Illinois probably has no even idea that it can possibly lure Brad Underwood from Oklahoma State after one year, get a guy to move after one year from a job to another job when the jobs are comparable. But Brad was unhappy because Oklahoma State wasn't aggressive and trying to make him happy. He tells Brett, hey, I'm, I'm ready to bounce. Get an athletic director who appreciates me. Boom, bounces to Illinois. Uh, after one year, and I think it's reasonable to say Oklahoma State hadn't been the same since. Like, contrast that with what Texas Tech just did. They weren't going to um, sit around and, and, and make Chris Beard feel unappreciated or underappreciated. They stepped up in as big a way as you could possibly do and in bigger ways than most people anticipated they would, and I think, uh, I think they'll benefit from it. I, I don't know that they'll keep him forever, but I you know, – I, I, He's not frustrated right now. He's not feeling underappreciated right now. And that's the best way you can treat a coach of his quality, I think. Yeah, last note I have on this is uh, I did find it weird. I don't know. 
that uh, so this happens, and then the LA Times had a story about how Mick Cronin got the job, and I read that. I don't know if you had a chance to see that or not, but it, it got into like John Calipari apparently being more interested than he let on publicly. It got into the fact that Rick Barnes apparently like agreed uh, or didn't agree to initial terms when UCLA said it would pay the buyout, and Barnes has publicly said otherwise. Then Barnes asked for more money. UCLA balked, and Barnes went back and said, "I'll sign with the original terms." I don't know. This is all the LA Times story, and they're reporting with all that. Um, but I found it. Uh, a little weird that in that story, there's a lot of coaches like Jay Wright. They would apparently double his salary, and and he was not going to leave Villanova for UCLA, which, by the way, is the right decision, I think. But uh, Beard's name is nowhere in there, um, and and I don't quite get why UCLA would not have pursued him. Perhaps there's a reason that I'm not privy to or aware of, but uh, I just thought it was interesting timing with the LA Times story coming out, and then Beard getting the contract stuff. I thought, you know, I, you know, and maybe they did, and it wasn't included in the story, but uh, but I thought that to be just a, a little bit odd because if you were UCLA, and I know that they were, you know, you had Texas Tech rolling here till the end of the season and stuff like that, and if you want to get him, you got to wait. But uh, it doesn't appear that UCLA went after him, um, and uh, I'm not quite sure what that would mean. Different, you know, schools have different priorities on different things. Maybe they did their diligence and they just thought that he wasn't going to be the guy or something else or whatever. But uh, but I thought the timing of that article and Beard's uh, contract getting re, uh, getting extended at, at Texas Tech just made me think. You know, why didn't UCLA try and lock him in? But regardless, UCLA gets Cronin. If you haven't read haven't read that story, it's actually just a it's it's a good. It's a good read, uh, given the sources at the LA Times. Uh, uh, well, they're you know they're not they're not attributed there, but you got to figure that they uh, they got really clued in on how that um, that search really went on for so long. Parrish and I have been critical of it, um, but there's even you know references to text messages that were that were viewed by the writer who wrote the story about uh, money people that were trying to get stuff done and updates, uh, dejected updates, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought that was pretty interesting. It, it was a fascinating read. Um... Like the idea that they thought they should. And this is what's so stupid. Like Jay Wright is a Villanova legend, a Philly guy, a future Hall of Famer, a two-time national champion. At this point in his life, why would he leave for UCLA? Could you not say the same exact thing about John Calipari, Kentucky yeah, legend? Yeah, but he didn't leave. He I, oh, okay, <laughs> okay, easy, Tiger. I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm presenting it for the listeners. Yes, you could say the same thing about John Calipari. And guess what? He did not leave. He was never leaving. Like uh, Dan Walken, who, like me, is a former John Calipari beat writer, like you know, retweeted the story and was like, "UCLA really thought they were getting John Calipari because they've never read anything about John Calipari." Like this is what he does, it, it, and so like. You just have to be smarter than that. It's exactly like recruiting. It's exactly like recruiting. I've talked to coaches about this before. They go, you have to be smart enough to know who you, who you can really get and not get. Don't think you're in there just because the kid will put you on a list. And if you say, hey, would you really come here? And he's like, yeah, I could see myself there. If you know he ain't really coming, don't waste your time because ultimately you're just wasting your time. Same thing here. John Calipari is never taking your job as long as he's not leaving Kentucky for your job. And he's certainly not doing it for comparable money, much less less money. And yet UCLA, like this, this associate athletic director is like sending out text messages like, we really thought we had Cal. What? You, you're insane. And they're calling Mark Few. Mark is not taking your job. Who has already previously said no to UCLA. I thought that was weird, but yeah. I mean, we talked about this a few weeks ago on the podcast. Like, I don't, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, you got to at least make the phone call. Let me go ahead and help everybody right now. If you have a job open, and I don't care how great of a job it is, do not call, and I mean college jobs, not NBA jobs. 
oh, you know, uh, NCAA investigation leads to bad things at Kansas. Bill Self is fired. Kansas job is open. Don't call Mark Few. He's not taking it. Don't call John Calipari. He's not taking it. Don't call Jay Wright. He's not taking it. Don't call Roy Williams. He's not taking it. Don't call Mike Krzyzewski. He's not taking it. Don't call Tom Izzo. He's not taking it. Don't call Tony Bennett. He's not taking it. Like, you don't you don't have to make the call. It is a waste of time. So the, the UCLA is just out there actually thinking they were going to get John Calipari is just hilarious to me. Um, calling Jay Wright and Mark Few is um, hilarious to me. Um, but um, I, to, to back to your initial point, I do know that there were conversations between Chris Beard's people and UCLA at a very surface level, like UCLA wondering, you know, would he do this? And I was told they were told, if you want to put an offer on the table and try to blow him away, you know, like you could do that. But I think this is the one time where UCLA properly understood they just weren't not going to get Chris Beard. I think – I don't want to speak for Chris, but when you look around college basketball right now, there there could be some big jobs opening. You know, Arizona could open, I guess, literally any day, um, even though it might not. Right. But it could open any day. Um, Kansas could open at some point. We don't know what this NCAA investigation is going to turn up. And so I think Chris is, A, just happy in Lubbock. Like, let's start there. And obviously now well compensated in Lubbock. But I think he's also smart, and he knows that – they, if my goal is to get an A-level job from Texas Tech, um, I guess UCLA is one of them, but it's not the best fit for me. And there's going to be better fits that open up soon, perhaps. And then I could either stay in Lubbock or maybe take one of those. And I, I think that's probably the proper approach. In other words, bottom line, um, I do think UCLA was interested in Chris Beard, or at least the idea of Chris Beard, but concluded pretty quickly like maybe after one conversation that you'd really have to blow him away with money and obviously you're not going to outbid texas tech you know they, they, if you're going to go try to put six million on the table then they, they'd have probably gone to six million yeah. you know they did whatever they had to do so you're not going to be able to outbuild a big 12 school and you know i don't know if chris beard wanted to move to westwood like they're you know Chris Beard is a Texas guy. I'm not saying he couldn't be great at Westwood. He sure he could be, but I I don't think he thought it was a great fit. And UCLA moved on pretty quickly. That was my understanding, at least. All right, Parrish, let's uh, let's get out of here. This has been a good conversation, but do you want you want to wrap this bad boy up? I do want to wrap this bad boy up. The Mets are in a zero-zero game. Jacob Degrom's got a three-hitter going, so um, I want to f- focus the rest of my night on that. We got an NBA game that is about to start between the Nuggets and Blazers. So, shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry M. F. Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to the homie Lauren. Now, I thought fifteen thousand was pretty good for you, but I think maybe you could have worked a little better deal if you'd have double dipped, got fifteen from T.J. Gasnola. Maybe another 20, 25 or so from Sean Miller, but Larnell, that's your missed opportunity. Remember, go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rated favorably, five stars with nice comments. That's all I've ever asked from you. And, uh, we'll talk to you again uh, real soon. Until then, take care.